Welcome to CF on Cyber, the podcast for executives who want to cyberproof their businesses. Today, we're going to talk about leveraging the Incident Response Guide to prepare for California's new data privacy law, the CCPA. Carlton Fields attorneys Jack Clavy, Joe Swanson, and Steve Blickensturfer give practical advice on the attorney's role in a data security incident response guide, which is a key document in preparing for the CCPA. This podcast was originally published in the Sound Advice podcast series by the American Bar Association Litigation Section and has been posted here with their permission. All right, welcome to the Sound Advice on Incident Response Guides and how they can help you and your clients get ready for the California Consumer Privacy Act, which is a sort of watershed law for consumer privacy that's going to go into effect on January 1st of 2020. One of the real backbones of this is to have what, a, what your clients or the companies you work with as lawyers uh, would call an incident response guide or an incident response plan. This is a, a really usable document that tells you who in the organization responds to data loss events or data loss incidents. Uh, we've got with us uh, here quite a bit of talent uh, on the cybersecurity side, all active members of the American Bar Association. Uh, we've got Joe Swanson from Carlton Fields in Tampa, Florida, who leads the cybersecurity and data privacy practice group at the firm. Joe, welcome and thank you. Thank you. We've also got Steve Blickensdurfer, who's very active in the ABA, uh, as well as in the Florida Bar, uh, in our Miami office and does quite a bit of privacy work. So Steve Blickensdurfer, thanks so much for, for joining us here. And I am Jack Clabby, a former federal cyber prosecutor, also at Carlton Fields with Joe and Steve, uh, do a lot of work with boards of directors and companies on incident response and incident management. So the acronym that we sometimes use for incident response guides is PIN, P-I-N. Uh, P is preservation, I is investigation, and N is notice or notification. And so when you are working with clients to put together their incident response guides or to re look at it again in preparation for California's new law, keep these three things in mind. Uh, I'll get off uh, right on the, on the first bat to talk about preservation, which is the P of PIM. What does preservation mean? It means when you begin your incident response guide, you're going to be doing a lot of effort within the systems of a company. But it's important, particularly as lawyers who have a piece of this process, to preserve the evidence of the event. And that might mean when you take computers offline, things could get destroyed. So working with the IT and information security professionals at the company, working with the third-party forensic investigators, and working with the general counsel's office to be deliberative and thoughtful about how changes to the system to investigate, mitigate, and contain the cybersecurity incident, what impact that has on the evidence that's retained. It's really important if there's going to be litigation, there's going to be an attorney general or similar regulatory inquiry to have a good record of what occurred. This is something that the lawyers can really influence and that the IT and the information security professionals uh, don't often have front of mind. All right, so that's the P. Joe, can you talk to us about the, <coughs> the I in the PIN concept? 
Sure. I, uh, in this acronym, stands for investigate. And here, you also are going to need a multidisciplinary approach with your legal team, both general counsel and, as needed, outside counsel, the forensic team, and the um, internal information technology and security assets to investigate the matter. What happened? Is it ongoing? And um, a key consideration here is attorney-client privilege. This is a portion of the of the work stream that can um, involve very candid assessments about what has happened uh, and why it happened. And those candid assessments um, may not be very flattering for the organization. And so therefore, the organization, by having their general counsel's office and as needed outside counsel involved, can try to maximize the extent to which that work would be covered by the attorney, client, and possibly work product uh, privilege. When you're executing on the incident response guide, you also want to have the exhibit or appendix at the back that has a roster of all of the internal and external assets that will be called upon uh, to investigate. So that's the forensic firm, outside counsel, the insurance uh, agency, and broker, uh, so that those can be um, notified and involved in the investigation as quickly as possible. And then finally, just be cognizant of what kinds of documents are being created in this phase of the response, because again, they may contain uh, very candid assessments. They may contain assessments that turn out to be wrong uh, as the investigation unfolds. And, and so um, uh, this may be an area where oral briefings uh, are preferred to anything written until more is known. All right. Thanks, Joe. So we've talked about the lawyer's role in the preservation concept within the incident response plan. Now we've talked about the lawyer's role uh, in the investigation concept in this PIN method. Steve, can you help us explain what is the role of the attorney in the, the notification or notice part of PIN as a guide to your incident response plan? Sure. Thanks, Jack. So not every incident rises to the level of a breach that needs to be noticed as uh, anticipated by the 50-state breach notification laws. And so the attorney's role at the end stage of PIN notification is to determine uh, what, if any, notification is required, both uh, internally, the notification process and procedure for notifying uh, affected uh, departments or, or assets of the business, the external notification procedures with vendors and those who are uh, doing the uh, triage and, uh, and, and the efforts to contain and prevent uh, the incident from, from escalating, and also uh, the e external communications to the affected uh, individuals whose, whose data may have been compromised to the press and the media. And so what the notification procedures aspect of, of the process will look like is going through almost a checklist of questions uh, based on an analysis and what what these 50 state breach notification laws look for. Uh, where are they? And, and this will start with uh, where where are the consumers uh, located will be um, one one question so that you know which laws to look forward and to and analyze. Uh, a common, and this will be kind of part of the whole WISP process, which is, um, is there a risk of harm? Because a lot of these statutes will base whether or not notice is even required if there is a risk of harm uh, based on the incident and exposure of the personal information. Increasingly, um, or some, some of these statutes uh, 
are basing notice to also may require notice to the attorney generals of the various states or the regulator who's in charge of the uh, maybe consumer affairs department of the AG's office. There are some that require some states require notice to law enforcement as a you know matter of course, and uh, there may also be required notice to third-party vendors. That also may be required by contract separate and apart from any laws. So the lawyer's role will also be to examine uh, service provider or vendor contracts to determine what, if any, breach or incident reporting notice obligations the business has. And increasingly, we're, we're seeing a trend where vendor agreements are being modified to discuss and anticipate and prepare for uh, incidents and to lay down really stringent notice obli- you know obligations on the business in some instances so understanding and and basically going through that part of the process the end is is notifying not just the affected consumers if possible but many other uh, aspects and in some cases regulators uh, laws are being um, updated and changed to include uh, the insurance regulators or uh, you know banking and healthcare they have their separate uh, HIPAA and Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act notice obligations. There's also, uh, if, if credit cards are involved, the PCI DSS has a whole separate procedure. But So uh, to wrap all that up, the N and notification stands for this entire process of, of who do you tell, what do you say, because many of these laws require or the contract with the vendor requires certain disclosures to be made, and, and that's all at the N process. Thanks so much, Steve. So this has been uh, me, Jack Clabby, from Carlton Fields with my colleagues Joe Swanson and Steve Blickensturfer. We've been talking about the PIN method for evaluating a lawyer's role in the Incident Response Guide. We're all going to be doing this a lot in the next few weeks, getting ready for the California Consumer Privacy Act. So thank you, Joe, and thank you, Steve. Thank you. If you'd like more information on anything we've talked about, get in touch with any of us. We're at carltonfields.com. Got a pretty good privacy page set up with a lot of resources and ways to get in touch with us. Thank you. You've been listening to Carlton Fields' podcast series with Jack Clabby, Joe Swanson, and Steve Blickensturfer. To learn more about the CCPA and ensure compliance with the new law, visit carltonfields.com. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields. Thanks for listening.